Welcome, welcome. This is Shakisha and the White Boy coming to you with a special social distancing episode. I am your host, Ryan Dinger, and I am confined to my Brooklyn apartment. And for the first time in the history of this show, I am not joined in person by my smart and talented co-host. Instead, coming to you live from her own self-imposed quarantine and courtesy of the World Wide Web and Skype is the one and only Shakisha Williams. Little flange on the air horn now. So, yeah, listener, uh, you know, we're, we've been told we need to stay indoors, but the show must go on. And so here we are. Shakisha, I have one I have we one question here. for you. What's the what's up? What's up, man? What's up? What did it do? Is this the end of the world as we know it? Sort of. <laughs> definitely, definitely. When you start seeing people buying two hundred dollars worth of toilet paper, things are looking real bleak. Dude, the toilet paper. So, well, so listener, uh, if you haven't figured it out yet, obviously we're talking about coronavirus or COVID nineteen, if you prefer. Uh, here in the New York City area, we've been instructed to social distance. Uh, I am in planning not to leave my apartment for the foreseeable future unless uh, I absolutely have to. Yeah. And uh, Shikishi, you're in the same boat. We were thinking we would skip WTF today because what could get more fucked up in WTF than what's going on right now? Uh, honestly, though, I think we need to talk about it as a WTF. Yeah, so should we play the music? 19. Yes, please. All right, all right, let's do it. All right, uh, now it's time for WTF. WTF, probably the most WTF to ever WTF on this show, the coronavirus. Shakisha, like I asked you in the opening, is this the end of the world as we know it? I think we are, um, that we're having a moment. We're certainly having a moment. We are at a place where we really need to evaluate our sanitizing habits. <laughs> um, Finally. I think our government was, you know, not as swift with the response as maybe we should have been oh. at the onset. Oh. Um, there was one person in particular who, and I will not name names because I don't want to call anybody out, but this particular person is said- Is this a person, wait, is this a person who is he who shall not be named or this is a different person? You'll figure it out when I say the quote. Okay, go ahead. It was a democratic move. It was a democratic hoax and fake news. Again, I've I've seen this. Yes, no, and uh, also it's um, the Democrats have been working with China, uh, and they actually brought the disease here to derail Trump and (laughs) tank the economy. Yes, Uh, he who shall not be named to derail him. Then his bestie said. We didn't take it seriously n- enough at the onset. That's what his bestie said. Yeah, you don't say. Uh, <laughs> you know what? I actually have a take on he who shall not be named um, that I think you probably have not heard yet about uh, him and his reaction to coronavirus. It's it's taught me something about him. And you know what it's taught me? What has uh, it taught you, sir? His vocabulary is limited solely to ways to describe real estate. Right. Think about how he described the test. He said, we're going to have big, beautiful tests, the most beautiful test. Every word that he uses, you can apply to 
describing a piece of real estate that is literally the only thing he knows how to talk about. And he uses it in every single social context. Big, beautiful test. The most beautiful. The most beautiful. I, our, numbers, I wrong? our numbers are the lowest. Our, we have the lowest numbers. I realized it this week. I was like, this motherfucker numbers. only knows how to talk about one thing, and he's just using it for everything now. How about this? How about with the coronavirus now, gro- the numbers are growing. I think it's 29, acro- 29 plus 100 across the U.S. Now, these are only the people who have been tested who have severe enough symptoms that they'll come in and actually be tested, right? Um The idea of not having enough tests, the idea of not having preparedness throughout the country or resources prepared for workers who are, whether they're hourly employees or uh, companies that won't allow their um, employees to take time off, um, all of this is something that should have been thought about originally, right? Yes. Correct. The president of the United States, however, is more worried about not letting people off the ship because, quote unquote, it'll it'll make the numbers go higher. Yeah, he's only worried about looking good. A million people could die, but as long as he thinks he looks good in the media, that's literally the only thing that happens. And by the way, this thing is growing rapidly. I I didn't catch the number you said of number of cases, but right now, as of today, Sunday at 2:53 p.m. Uh, what's today's date? March 15th. Oh, my God, it's the Ides of March. I didn't realize that. Uh, anyway, as of today, there are 2,815 people who have tested positive okay. in the United States. And as you said, that number is probably not as high as the reality because yeah. there aren't tests. There are not. <laughs> They're not being tested. There are, there are no big, beautiful tests to be found. Right, right. It's crazy. Uh, you know what? Um, being here in New York, it's been pretty wild i would say uh because obviously you're around people all the time and um it's it's turned me on to something that i've noticed like uh i was on the subway a few times this past week luckily work has started now to allow us to stay home thankfully but i I did ride the subway a couple times this past week and uh something that i've realized is cough shaming so like i've just been having uh, allergic reactions. And like, I'm at a point in my life where I know the difference between a cold and allergies. And I've been coughing and sneezing because of allergies. But I'll tell you what, you cough on the train and everyone was like this motherfucker. <laughs> like, what is he doing? Why is he on the train? Cough shaming. It's real. And I, I swear to God on Thursday, when I was riding home from work, I was holding in a cough on the train because I didn't want to appear as if I were some irresponsible person Riding around the subway, coughing, heaven forbid. Oh, my God. I already can imagine. I have been driving, um, so I haven't been around, like, you know, like, gin public stuff. So I'm I'm in Jersey City. Mm -hmm. And in Jersey City, there's light rail. There are the buses and things like that. So I haven't had to interact with the public in that way. But when you go to Walmart or you go to the local supermarket, no toilet paper, no water, no milk. It is apocalyptic. Um, and I feel like um, more, I'm thinking more I am legend. So I'm going to go build my house, you know, the Will Smith movie where he's like immune to the disease. Yeah, yeah. I love um, that movie. I'm thinking I'm going to have to make sure that my house is built for the virus holders who come out at night. <laughs> 
yes. and and want to like paper to like toilet paper because what else are you doing with all this toilet paper like yeah, honestly man. a woman told me she worked in the supermarket she says she rang up someone two hundred dollars worth of toilet paper all right so two hundred dollars worth of toilet paper so that's probably what like uh what's toilet paper? Do- a dollar roll thirteen dollars for a big pack so let's say a dollar a roll so 200 rolls of toilet paper how many days, Shakisha, do you think 200 rolls of toilet paper would last in your house? Uh, We've had this conversation, Ryan. I'm not going. I'm not going to reveal my secrets anymore. <laughs> I just want to know. <laughs> I want to know how much toilet paper you use. No, I'm, uh, I'm, a, I'm a mummification girl. I already told you that. <laughs> <laughs> so you're the one who's actually out at fucking Sam's Club, just stocking up. But no, my point is. 200 rolls of toilet paper that would probably last your home like six eight months maybe like how what what mindset are you in where you think you're not gonna see toilet paper for six months you know and the other thing i keep thinking is like how much are these people shitting my god like (laughs) like what are you like i keep yeah exactly the phrase that keeps coming to mind is diarrhea nation like (laughs) You people need to try and eat a salad. Like I don't, I don't know what's going on and what's coming out the back end. But if you're if you're buying that much toilet paper, yeah. like you need to, you need to reevaluate. So the life here's a little the thing. Bit, so I shopped in the hood the other day because all of the big chain, the big box stores were completely out of stuff. Um, when I went to the hood, though, there was plenty of toilet paper. There was water available. Uh, all the, you know, the basic necessities. Um, alcohol was gone. Because, you know, people want to keep it clean. Oh, I stocked um, up for sure. I <laughs> but, stocked up. <laughs> but for me, I'm just at a point now where I, I feel the virus is, um, it's not going to have a high death rate. Now, we don't know a lot about this thing. There's so much that we're learning over time. Um, they closed down. My, my uh, second grader is... At, you know, he's locked. He, school's closed for the next two weeks here in Jersey City. Um, so he's doing, you know, all homeschooling stuff. Um, I'm, you know, taking kind of a, a little sabbatical from my rideshare mm-hmm. side gig because no I don't want to be out in these streets. Um, and I think the, the the problem I've had is the fear <sighs> that the media. Look at him. Look at him, folks. Look at him. I'm coughing. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> um the fear that the media has instilled um, in people. I think it's people panic. Like I said, I can reason with one person. I can sit and have an intelligent conversation with a person. But when when you're in a group, that fear and panic has led to people stockpiling. And I I honestly believe that if we, we have to be smart, go with, go with knowledge, go with information Follow the directives. If you can stay home, stay home. If you have to go to work, figure out a way to, you know, make sure you get gloves, make sure you get hand sanitizer. But mm-hmm. I, I think panic isn't going to solve anything. Yeah, I think, um, well, I think part of it is, and you know, it's funny, uh, we have the webcam. I keep noticing myself touching my face. I'm like, oh, stop, stop. Don't touch your face. I know, I'm um, always an, like animated. Dude, so I head. must touch my face three million times a day. Like it just, I don't know. My hands are just drawn to it. Um, 
I think part of the the panic and the fear is what we were talking about before. There's a complete lack of information coming from the White House, right? Like there's no leadership right now. So there's no ability to even begin to assess what this might look like because we know that what we're being told by the White House is not true. So people start thinking worst case scenario, right? Like, oh my God, this might infect 3 million people or whatever. And like, yeah, the death rate is probably going to go down compared to where it is now. I think it's at like three and a half percent right now, although it's changing all the time. So, but um, it, it's still going to be higher than the common flu, right? Like still not the type of thing that you should be fucking around with. And, uh, you know, there's just this vacuum of leadership right now and he can't bullshit his way through it like he can other stuff. And so it's like, it's it just feels like chaos right now in a lot of ways and you don't there's no confidence that the things that need to be done are going to be done because basically right now we're relying on society as a whole people as a whole to just do the right thing and stay in their house when they can like you said and like i don't think you can trust people to just do their own thing in a lot of cases when you're just like please like it's the right thing to do you know um so if you had a leader who was like, look, this is serious and we have this many cases right now, it's spreading at this pace. This is why you need to take these actions so that we can make this just a small thing and not turn it into a huge, I mean, it's already a pandemic, but turn it into millions and millions of Americans are impacted by it and lives are lost. And we just don't have that right now. There's a complete vacuum. I, re- I fully 100% agree with you. And I'll add, this is definitely his Katrina. Well, so I saw someone else say that and someone replied oh, I thought oh, it was a really man, clever reply. Original, but uh, well, it can't I, be I'm his Katrina say, because what okay, you know what? So I I, I want to be better than that. What I will say is this is his <laughs> defining moment. There have been a yeah. lot of instances throughout the presidency where you thought this could have been handled better, but I think No, no it's been smooth sailing. <laughs> What are you talking about? Once or twice. But I think... Like minor (laughs) inconveniences here and there, but... (laughs) But now we're we're at a a point where I feel... uh, There was a woman who had tweeted, my father, who was a staunch Trump supporter, has changed his mind after his handling of the coronavirus. My dad's a doctor and is no longer a Trump supporter due to the way he has handled this. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's that, and that's what I think, like, there have been like a lot of denial of a lot of things, but mm-hmm. you cannot deny that he was joking at a rally with hundreds of people, by the way, maybe a thousand or so, even, you know, like a couple of hundred. A people. large gathering. Yeah. OK, a large gathering joking yeah. about coronavirus, saying that it was, you know, the Democrats and it was a hoax and it's not as bad as you think. And to go from that to a being a full on pandemic worldwide. Now our nation is facing it and we can't ignore it anymore. This is his defining moment. And I'm glad it's an election year because we it get a, a lot of times this happens. It's not election year. We mm-hmm. have to wait three or four years for any, you know, to make a change. We could do that now. Yeah, it definitely could be. I could see that. Um, the one the one sort of silver lining, too, is it's now exposing when there are real world consequences and it's outside of bullshit like the stock market and things that don't impact 
common Americans and things that politicians are isolated from. Like when the stock market crashes, as a politician, your cash cow is still there. You're still getting kickbacks from lobbyists and whatnot. So yeah. you're still basically okay. But when lives are starting to be lost and politicians are contracting coronavirus and realizing that I'm not insulated from this, now you're starting to see conversations about universal health care. Oh, maybe we actually should take the healthcare system a little bit more seriously. Paid sick leave. Oh, uh, actually, when people are forced to go to work when they're sick, that actually accelerates the, the speed in which a virus uh, multiplies and affects yes. people. So yes. I will say there is, it's forcing people to have serious conversations now about things that we should have had in this country for decades yes. because the consequences are real. It's no longer, oh, the stock market went down 20% or whatever. It's, oh my God, I could fucking die. Yes. You know, so, I, so there's the know, one positive there. I, I, you know, I, I don't want to see anyone lose. And, you know, for anyone who has, been affected, yeah. who has been affected or lost family members and friends to this, you know, to this tragedy, I don't want to ever make light of that. So I just want to say for those of us, you know, just a more serious note, hunker down if you can. That was actually the narrative from the person who's overseeing the, the task force uh, to hunker down if you don't have to go outside because we're, we're trying. Now it's the thing with the curve, like the. Yeah. The, they keep doing this with their hands. We're, mm -hmm. we're trying to lessen the interactions between people and, and try to at least keep it contained. So yeah, stay, something tells me you know, stay, stay, stay together, folks. Uh, you know, if you have older loved ones, you know, limit your contact. If you know people who have infants, limit your contact because those are the most susceptible to this. Uh, the elderly, and uh, you know, with anything, the elderly is all and, and, and babies are always the first to contract. Sure. You know, or people who are infirm, just, you know, limit your contact and, and try to just be there for one another. I think now's the time for us to kind of band together. I don't want to go all Pollyanna on you. But no, honestly, if you, you know someone who's in need and you got a couple of bottles of water, you know, share. And yeah, it's about I've been that. trying to band together for, for years. So nothing new for me. This is actually great. Yeah. Inside and avoid all social obligation and get to talk about how we should all just be. <laughs> one society and supporting each other it's it's like my moment i feel like but shakisha it's appropriate that society has been canceled until further notice because canceled is the name of today's episode yes, and listener we've got a good one for you right now we are going to be joined by martin mandela morrow who is a writer and comedian currently residing in los angeles in addition to his viral medium pieces dear white women and it's time we talk about america's inability to forgive black men he has been published in the chicago tribune and huffington post and has been seen on nbc's last comic standing He's joining us to discuss cancel culture and how it pertains to race. We had the conversation earlier. I thought it was great, Shakisha, uh, and I think the listeners are really going to get something out of it. Yes. It's a conversation we've been wanting to have for a while, and uh, now it's time. So Martin published a fantastic piece called Dear White Women on Medium, and uh, it was following the death of Kobe Bryant. And so we're going to dig into that and more during his segment. Now, here's our conversation with Martin. Hey, Martin, thanks for joining us on the show today. Hey, thank you for having me. Yeah, we're uh, we're locked indoors here. Everyone's confined. So, but uh, I'm excited about this conversation. Same, yeah. Uh, gl glad to be quarantined in order to do so. Uh, I think that <laughs> worked out best for everybody. <laughs> so your piece, dear white woman, dear white women, is very bold, and I would say even brave given the current social media environment. 
And I think it touches upon a lot of ideas about cancel culture that Shakisha and I have discussed between ourselves before. Um, it just rang true for me in a lot of ways. Uh, and it seems like these, some of these are thoughts that you've been having for a long time. What did you, what made you feel that this was like sort of the right time to put your ideas on the page and publish something about all of this? Uh, I, I think it was, you know, I, I remember the announcement of Kobe Bryant's death, like watching it on the news and being in such disbelief, you know, of course, going to Twitter immediately. Um, and within the extended disbeliefs and within the condolences and things of that nature, you know, you'd see someone say, oh, how dare you people uh say this about a rapist or be excited about her, you know, or sad about a rapist or mourner, you know, that kind of thing. And the recognition of, you know, even in death, uh, people aren't able to leave behind the worst quality that the world sees in them. Mm -hmm. That, that really bothered me. Um, because, you know, I, I don't, I don't know anybody who's perfect. And I know that when, you know, when my time comes, I don't want someone saying, oh, do you remember that he cheated or do you remember that time that he, you know, yelled at his dog or whatever the case may be. Yeah. Um, so that that just really bothered me that people will always look for the negative in humanity, despite humanity being such a gray area. Yeah, that's been an on topic, an ongoing topic on our show, really, and a theme. I would say this idea that like we have people who are symbols and they represent something, and then they like you forget that they're a human, and humans are good and bad and complex and contradicting, and you start to lose all of this when you only see one little sliver of a person's life. Like as much as big of a Kobe Bryant fan as you are, as anyone is, you still don't really know the guy as a human being, right? You only know what he allowed you to see. And so when you start distilling someone down into whatever it is that they were sharing publicly, it's easy to forget that, you know, they wake up every day and look in the mirror and they're this person with a lot of like complexity and these deep, dis different thoughts. And I feel like that happens a lot with celebrity. And, you know, I'm almost inclined to say that when someone makes a mistake, and they're not famous, it's easier to sort of let that go and forget about them because only the only people who remember you when you're not famous and you die are the people who actually knew you and saw you every day versus someone who you don't have a relationship with at all, at all, like a Kobe Bryant. Yeah, exactly. And I, it, it's funny because I, I've been listening to, uh, this, this other podcast, uh, called conviction, uh, about, uh, so it, it, it is about, um, uh, this kind of paranoia and fear that happened in 1984, mm -hmm. uh, mainly in Bakersfield, California, where uh, there was just this rampant idea of uh, of sexual abuse going on in the school and how it became this thing of the the local media and the police and psychologists uh, essentially coercing children into saying that their parents molested them. And then all the basically all these children going into foster care and all these parents going into um, all these parents going to prison. Uh, be, but there there was no like evident like none, none of the, none of the parents were into Satan or satanic culture or any of that. But just because like they were the children were coerced uh, with the questioning like six year olds, like police telling six year olds like, 
hey, so did uh, did your, you know, dad or teacher put something in your butt? And, you know, being like, come on, buddy, tell me the tell me this. Tell me the truth. Your friend said this and that kind of thing. And I think we we we, we have this umbrella of believe blank, like even even on the you know whatever political affiliation you are you'll see it on like with like trump people you know um with, with they'll say well why would he lie to me trump you know he he's not mm-hmm. he's not a liar he's just that and the third but i you know i'm i'm now a firm believer of you know hope hope for the best but some people will show you their true colors be it good or bad and you have to look for truth as opposed to narrative yeah, I, I actually wanted to chime in um, from a very specific standpoint. Um, as everyone in the in the listening audience know, I'm a black woman. And um, there was a young lady, and I apologize, I do not remember her name, but I'm listening to the conversation. And she became emotional talking about there was some backlash with Gail King. And basically, the cancel culture came for Gail after she had her interview with Lisa Leslie regarding Kobe Bryant. She had asked her, um, basically, you know, should we leave this narrative, the narr- the sexual assault narrative out of his um, legacy? And Lisa said yes. And Gail kind of pushed a little bit, asking more questions. But um, to this woman's point, she basically pointed out that the idea of black men and sexual assault allegations has such a larger, broader undertone than just it being, you know, um, you know, there are men and, you know, who have been accused in cancel culture and some of them have been brought to justice and some are still kind of a little bit murky. But overall, the idea of Kobe, who, by the way, settled but was never charged and all those things surrounding it. But when you think about like a Emmett Till or many other black men who were unnamed, who were killed by the, the slightest um, notion of an allegation. Um, and the idea that forgiveness for black people don't necessarily, or black men aren't necessarily as easily forgiven as others. Can you, do you have any uh, thoughts or opinions on that? Yeah, I, I agree completely. Uh, I mean, you, you look at the Central Park Five, you look at what, what was yeah. the, the situation, I believe it was two or three years ago in uh, in Brooklyn, where the, the young men uh, were in the park and the girl the girl was having sex with her dad. And then uh, and then she was like, yeah, I want you guys to join in. And then, it, you know, later on became this thing of, oh, these black guys raped me to yeah. cover up the fact that uh, she was having sex with her father. Yeah. Um, so we're we as black men become an easy scapegoat in a lot of situations because of the stigma and because of the uh, you know the the kind of inherent racism and inherent vices of our our past of our of of not our past but of um, America's past. Yeah. Um. You, you think about Birth of a Nation, right? Or the 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 iconic scene, uh, the the infamous scene of the uh, white woman who would rather jump off a cliff than be, uh, you know, assaulted or, or have to even interact with the aggressive and scary black man. That yeah. is the, the the way that they poised us, that we are uh, beasts, that we are uh, sexual, that we are rapists, that we are uh, some people who constantly desire 
and craves the white woman and will do anything to take her. And it's like, that's not, you know, there, there were black men who were getting lynched for looking a white woman in the eyes, you know? Yeah. Uh, so this is rooted in American history of, uh, of taking our name, taking our body, taking our legacy. And I think it, it has carried on, uh, from, you know, now, now, now it's not a literal lynching. It is a lynching of the, uh, name. It's a lynching of the job, a lynching of the respect and the admiral, like whatever you can do to take away uh the 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 framing of that black man be it because he you know like i had a friend recently who um had a situation where you know he he was he was just a, he was just a weird dude right black guy but you know but there's there's nothing wrong with being weird but in certain communities they they're going to that's going to have some like ears kind of turn you know what i mean yeah um and so somehow him being a weird guy who's trying to interact within a community uh, became like, yeah, he's a creep. Yeah, well, I bet he's a rapist. Yeah, I bet he is. He is a rape. Like, and it just you watch these things spiral because, um, again, truth and narrative just don't mix in a lot of uh, communities and for a lot of people. Yeah, I think I think that's a great point. Something uh, that I've been thinking about. Um, you know, Shakisha, you had mentioned with Lisa Leslie, she was asked, should we leave out the sexual misconduct when we're discussing Kobe? And it's this yes or no question. It's very binary. And that is so much what happens with these types of things. Uh, it's positioned in a way where you're not allowed to have any nuance or any depth of conversation. It's very narrative driven, like you're saying, Martin. And I wonder um, when you get into this binary way of thinking and it's either yes, he was a rapist and terrible or no, he was great and a hero that that starts to like magnify some of society's worst impulses and beliefs and allow them to sort of flourish in these conversations. What do you guys think about that? I think, um, and I'm going to quote a great writer by the name of Martin M. Morrow. Um, <laughs> in his article, he actually, Martin, you actually write, but how do we seek out the goodness and greats? Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. led the civil rights movement but also cheated on his wife. Malcolm X committed a series of burglaries that left him incarcerated prior to joining the Nation of Islam. Michael Jordan's gambling habit is rumored to have led to the murder of his father. Mike Tyson went to prison for rape. Tiger Woods' marriage imploded due to his many infidelities. The list go on and on. And I wanna preface this surrounding for our listeners, this particular article was specifically geared toward um, the idea of black men and forgiveness or cancel culture or fear. Um, he has other articles, Martin has other articles that specifically um, delve into cancel culture. You can check him out on Medium. Uh, the list goes on and on. All prominent black men whose flaws you, you habitually remind us about while you stream Ted Bundy biopics and listen to another podcast about serial killer John Wayne Gacy, who, by the way, both were found guilty of the crimes <laughs> that they were accused of. So what I feel is that when it comes to humanity and black people, and I want to broaden the scope because cancel culture isn't just about 
um, African-Americans, but specifically when it deals with African-Americans, the idea of humanity and forgiveness, the ability to change. Um, If I'm not, if I'm, I may be incorrect, but one of the first cancel culture movements I remember were surrounding Nate Parker, who is an actor and director, and he had created, uh, um, he did a movie about Nat Turner called uh, Birth of a Nation, because he was trying to reclaim the name from the original, uh, e, uh, not E. Dewey Smith, E. Dewey Smith is going to kill me. Um, uh, <laughs> um, the original uh, Birth of a Nation, but around um, a sexual assault case that he had been accused of. He wasn't found guilty, but the young lady who um, who had made the accusation later on killed herself, and he basically, his career basically tanked after that. And the idea that I can be something as a young man and change, or that can be a part of my history, isn't necessarily a narrative that is always afforded to Black people. So, yeah, yeah, there are nuances because we all change and grow. And I, you know, as a filmmaker, one of the things that I like to explore is the idea of forgiveness and redemption. Like we can make a mistake and not all of us are in public figures. So we can't we're not always beholden to our worst, you know, day. Yeah, I I agree a thousand percent. And we we shouldn't be. if, if where would any of us be without forgiveness, without empathy, without a little bit of sympathy, without someone saying, you know what, I've been there. It's OK. Um, we and and from both perspectives, I think that a lot of people tend to see um, see the trauma or their, their own traumas, rather, uh, in particular situations. So I know like the big criticism that a lot of people had for my article was like, Oh well, uh, are you? Why are you trying to tell people that they don't, they can't have a time when they want to express their own assaults or whatever? It's like I'm not saying that at all. At at no point did I say, "Hey, if you've ever been assaulted, you you better shut up." Any of that. The the point being um, that there is a particular way to express your feelings, express how you know. Your, your own traumas and issues that also don't discredit a man who literally just died with his daughter and, you know, eight or so other people. Um, and I, I think that because we have such a, we're in such a reactionary time where it, it it's, it's everything has to be immediate. What, you know, if, if you, if you watch a TV show and everyone is live tweeting it. You have to get in on that live tweeting or, or you're going to be left behind. It, you know, it, it used to be I can talk about this tomorrow at the water cooler at work. But now it's every everyone wants to jump in on everything immediately. And when we do that, we jump in with our feelings and not with uh, a level of uh, of clarity. So we we go in angry or we go in sad or we go in scared and we end up kind of mushing what the reality of situations are and the, the, the gravity of things. So my mind doesn't necessarily go to, oh, my God, you know, this woman in Colorado, how is she feeling? My mind goes to there's a lady who just lost her daughter and her husband who, you know, doesn't know what she's going to do. 
And that's okay to feel that. That's okay to be sympathetic in that situation to, uh, and, and to just anybody who, you know, I, I recently heard a coworker that I worked with who slammed the door in my face, by the way, passed yeah. away. I can separate that instance from the idea that this man is now gone and I can now, you know, maybe say, well, wow, I wonder how his family's doing. I wonder how friends of his are reacting. And I can separate that. But with the the way we are in our society, and I, I think we want that. It, um, it's a very kind of simple golden rule, treat others in the way that we want to be treated. And we've kind of gotten away from that. Or if the truth be told, have we ever <laughs> really been about that? Um, I don't know. But, you know, the idea of I can make a mistake and want to be forgiven for any mistake that I make, or I don't want it, you know, blasted or, you know, telephone around the world isn't necessarily held for everyone in the same way. Um, I did want to ask you, like, when you know, the culture kind of spun around, like whether it be Louis C.K. or like from Louis C.K., I would say Harvey Weinstein and Bill Cosby are at one end of the spectrum. And then you have like an incident that happened with um, Aziz Ansari, which is a whole other kind of thing. It's it, it's it's a it's a weird gray area. Yeah. Um when you think about all of these kinds of incidences, and even I, I, there, I'm sure there are some women in there that I, I may have forgotten, but thinking about those sides of the spectrum, um, you wrote another, the uh, cancel art, hashtag cancel article that I read, you kind of gave some tips to the people who may have been on the other side of the scrutiny, those who are being kind of called out. Um, and if you could kind of talk about some of the things you mentioned in that article, I thought it was really kind of transformative to come from the side of the accused or mm -hmm. the hashtag canceled. So if you could talk about that a little bit. Yeah, for sure. Um, I, I, I find that when, you know, being on the other side of cancel culture, uh, there, there really isn't a, you know, cause I, I had like a, a small incident, um, where I, I think I mentioned I cheated on a girl and it spiraled into this whole thing, uh, and kind of like watching that and reaching out to friends and them either being like, ah, I got to shun you or them, you know, kind of be like, I don't know what to do. You know, I've never seen something like this before. It was very difficult and I was, you know, heavily depressed. I was staying in. I was uh, suicidal for a bit. It was scary. Um, and, it, and it's not to kind of make myself out to be a martyr or a hero or be whatever. What I did was wrong. Um, but I think that when that gets blown up or when when the wrong actions of someone becomes public, uh, we 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 tend to watch that uh, implosion and then just walk away. So like the way I described it to a lot of friends was, if, okay, you know, in, um, in, in like those coming of age movies when they always have the scene where the, you know, the, the protagonist uh, who's always, he's getting bullied the whole movie and then eventually he just snaps and beats up the bully. Right. You've seen those yeah, in movies. Yeah. 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 So imagine if, uh, in, in that scene, uh, then a bunch of other kids are like, oh, yeah, I, I don't like the bully either. And they all just start beating up the bully also. And, 
you know, if you are a passerby walking by and seeing a bunch of kids beating up one kid, you might be like, oh, what's, you know, what's going on there? And if you are the one who says, hey, why are you guys beating up that kid? They might jump you as well. So the best thing you can do is either walk away or also jump in on beating up that kid. Mm-hmm. Um, and but the thing is, that doesn't that doesn't give them the lesson of, hey, this is why X, Y, Z was wrong or or even like, you know, you know, again, using this analogy Oftentimes they'll say like, or they'll show you, oh, here's the bully kid at home getting yelled at by his dad and his mom is drunk and smoking a cigarette at the dinner table or whatever. Um, so we, we don't necessarily even know the, the traumas that lead to why someone is mean or cheats or, you know, has to ask people if they can masturbate in front of them or is weird on a date or any of that. And that's not to even like give clearance or credence to those specific actions. But I think that we, again, we don't pause and say, Hey, I wonder, I wonder why this person did this. If, or if they know that this is wrong or if they, uh, or if this even happened, because there, there are oftentimes where we tend to take a small iota of truth and blow that up into what we need to justify kicking someone out of our community or out of the world or out of the the social sphere or out of work, whatever the case may be. Um, And then kind of, again, wipe our hands with it and say, okay, well, I did my part, but that doesn't really do anything for us in particular. Like it doesn't, it doesn't take away our own sins. Mm. yeah, so I I think that uh, if if someone is on the other, if someone has been canceled, if someone is or, or is you know watching their life implode, or you know be it true or not, you have to one uh, seek out what your what what your issues may have been or what led to X Y Z happening. Because um, what what's the old the old phrase like? There's little truth in every lie. Mm-hmm. So there, there, you know, it, even if it's nothing, someone, someone's version of your nothing might be something, right? Like, like the old, the the old, their old saying of, uh, every, everyone's story has a villain. So we, you know, we all might be somebody's bad guy, whether we know it or not. Like you, you know, like you said with the the coworker who passed away, uh, him closing the door in your face. Um, I said slamming, Martin. I slamming. said slamming. Excuse me. Yeah. Yeah. Screw that guy. <laughs> um, but do you do you know like what happened, like what his day was before or anything? And, what, and what's weird and what's weird is that you're saying that. And as I reviewed it, um, he had like a ton of health issues. Like yeah. he, we, you'd walk by his office and you would see him sleeping in the office. It was kind of known, you know, that he was in pain a lot and he walked really slow. And you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. And judging him in that moment, um, you know, and I deem myself a Christian, so I automatically should have forget been you know more forgiving, but I'm also from Harlem and you're not going to play me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so there's like a duality of life, you know, the angel and the devil are always fighting, you know, so yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I think it's a little bit, it's it's hard because like in certain actions, 
asking the question and remembering the humanity, like you're saying, Martin, like what was his day like before that? In the instance of like slamming a door. Yeah. I mean, there, you, you don't know what a person's going through, but you, there are like people at on one end of the spectrum. Um, you know, when you get into like Harvey Weinstein, it's, and it's like, it's, there's no justification for those actions ever. Right. Like even if he were abused as a child, um, and of course that would be horrible and I would hope that happens, never happens to anyone. But if he did, there have been other people who also had those traumas and those abuses who didn't go on to become, you know, a violent sexual predator. Right. Yeah. So, and I think what becomes difficult is people then start to lump Harvey Weinstein in with Aziz Ansari and it's all just one canceled versus looking at the levels of it. I always like to equate it to like murder versus manslaughter, right? Like, they're both terrible things and crimes that people can commit and that people should um, be held accountable for. But actively murdering someone is different from accidentally hitting someone with your car or something. Right. Raping someone is different from misreading a date and making a woman uncomfortable. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't learn from if if a woman says that you made her uncomfortable. Obviously, you should look at that and self-reflect and think about what it why it was that you didn't recognize that in that moment, but that that person can't be lumped in with someone who is actively raping people. And I think that that's what happens a lot with cancel culture. Yeah, I, I agree com- completely. Uh, I, I think that we, uh, we tend to have this umbrella of all or nothing. And that's what, that's what kind of screws us up because we, we want to have this belief of, okay, well, if, if he's willing to do this, then he might do X, Y, Z. I think right. uh, T TJ Miller is a, a good example of that. Um, like he, you know, he, he kind of was canceled and they said, Oh, he, he did this in college and he spoke out and said, it's not true. He, he gave, he sent his receipts. And then I think like a few weeks later, that's when the whole like bomb threat on the Amtrak train thing happened and he got arrested and all that jazz. Mm. And, you know, I was racking my brain, especially as a comedian, as someone who's, who's worked with him, like, yo, why would he call, why would he call in a bomb threat on some lady or whatever, especially after all this other stuff? And like, um, you know, someone told me yesterday, like, oh, man, I'm listening to this podcast with TJ Miller where he found out that there is a part of his brain that's gone, that's missing and he has to take medicine now. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah. Oh. Uh, yeah. Like he, or he has a, a hole in his brain. Excuse me. Um. So, you know, there are there are nuances that we don't really recognize in in especially in people where it seems like, oh, that's a weird lapse in judgment uh, for that person. Like like I'm I'm under the I I can never um, I can never be a R. Kelly apologist. Um, Mm -hmm. And especially being someone who lived in Chicago for seven years and who talk to people who were like, yeah, he'd roll up to the high school in a PT cruiser and, you know, pick up girls and take them to McDonald's and all that jazz and, you know, do what we now know he's done. Um, especially if R. Kelly is not willing to rectify or be honest with the fact of these actions that he's done. We've seen him do it. He put it on video multiple times. So if he's not willing to be honest with either himself or the public or the parents or these girls of what those situations were, then that to me is someone who's like, you know, that's, that's what's irredeemable. 
Yeah. 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 But I think that that. Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. No, no, no. You go. I was going to say, I think that um, you're touching on something that I've been thinking about a lot. Like we, you know, Shakisha, you had mentioned Louis C.K. and Aziz Ansari being on the other end of the spectrum, sort of the like more tame instances of sexual misconduct. Um, and when you look at those two people and how they reacted to being canceled, they had very different actions. And, you know, Aziz took time out of the spotlight. He came back with this. I mean, it's a comedy special, but it's also very serious in a way where he actually addresses the accusation and what happened and talks about how, you know, how he's grown from it. And on the other side is Louis, who is still sort of out of the public light and not really has not been readopted uh, because he was gone for like nine months and then he comes back and he's doing comedy again and he's not talking about it at all. So this idea of like self-reflecting and growing and like actually trying to to learn from it and be better is so key, I think, even for people who did things that maybe are not way up on the scale of heinous. Yeah. And, and the uh, idea and the idea of how are we as a society, um, are we, you know, are we the Salem, you know, witch trial judges slash priests or, you know, pastors, or are we um more awake and more adaptable to understand? And part part of the problem is that if I am isolated, you know, we're in a digital age where I sit behind my computer with my belief system, with my judgments. And if I want to, I can easily fly, even if it's just a thought and put it out there. And the accessibility of me making a point or me saying something to a public figure who I may never have an opportunity to meet or see or interact with, I believe people are more, you know, like, I didn't like that guy in the first place, so I can say what I want to say. Or, you know, someone who finds himself humorous. Or there was a guy when Kobe passed away who made, he was a comedian, he made all these really crass jokes. Ari Shafir. Yes, and like mm. he, he's been canceled, but that was his humor or that was the way he would do that so that he could get attention. So there are the attention seekers. There are the people who aren't heard on a normal basis. So they feel that, you know, Twitter or Facebook posts or Instagram comments will allow them to have that kind of moment. So you're kind of battling this, this kind of, you know, the, the coalition of the, of the, of the reasonable, (laughs) and the dickweeds who are running around with an opinion and, you know, a keyboard or a phone. And there's like, there has to be like a balance to that. A person is reasonable. People as a whole, like you get a group of people together. It's just idiotic. Yeah, hive mind, hive yeah. mind for sure. So yeah. we've got about five minutes left. And uh, I do feel there's one element of this whole conversation that we haven't really touched upon yet. And that's the victims. And when you get back into like the instance of Kobe and uh, I know what he meant, especially for like black males and how he was a figure um, who, uh, you know, showed you something that you could, the levels that you could reach or someone to look up to and aspire to. Um, But on the other side, there are definitely people out there who believe that he committed sexual assault, whether they're accurate or not, or whether he did or not, people do believe this. And I think, it, it like how do you reconcile the need to remember a person who was like a, a very important symbol for one community of marginalized people with the uh, feeling of like being triggered for victims of sexual assault or, you know, women who were reminded of their own uh, troubles and, you know, their own attacks or what, what, what have you 
when Kobe's name was in the media again? Um, I, I think sometimes you just you can't, and that's okay. Uh, you know, w- one thing I, I, I kind of kept saying, especially when I would re- I would respond to a lot of the uh, feedback of uh, the article. And I would t- every time I would say your feelings are completely valid. Like you're you're not saying anything wrong. I didn't say anything wrong because we're both talking out of feelings and emotions. Um, and you know, w- especially when dealing with such a serious trauma as sexual assault, like I've I've been a victim of sexual assault. Um, so it 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 is very 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 touchy and very difficult to um, to try and like rectify or say hey there this is a nuanced situation especially with something that is so serious um but you know i i try to allow that credence and give that kind of conversation again of saying like you're not wrong no one is wrong in this you're you're perfectly fine in feeling how you feel and you know kind of trying to get into that conversation easily or if if it's not something they're willing to do or talk about then letting it go which is also fine um because i think that especially now again given that digital age we feel the need to go into battle or go into defense mode instead of kind of just like saying we're both right or you know no one's wrong in the situation um and letting feelings be feelings and letting that be okay yeah, yeah, I think that's really true. So, Shakisha, that was the last question I had. Did you have anything else for Martin before you let him go? I think Martin and I and you, we all need to, like, head out to Cali land for the weekend <laughs> and, like, sip on whatever they sip out there in, on the West Coast and just, like, have this conversation in person. Because, I, I first of all, I would just want to say, you know, you're an amazing writer, Um And because I read I think I read about three or four of your articles just trying to get to know you as a writer. But, um, you know, like as a comedian, how have you adjusted (laughs) to the landscape that we are living in now? Oh, it's very uh, I don't want to say difficult. I I was I'd always kind of played it safe. But I think now I'm more honest um because i think within it is even like to kind of focus on back on aziz i'm sorry uh when you play it safe uh people view you they put you on a pedestal Mm -hmm. and so when you know when something like aziz's bad date or even like like i said me with the cheating thing that's when people are like whoa well if this happened then how do we know anything is real of this person so (laughs) yeah so you so when you're on a pedestal, like even again, even with Louis, because Louis's whole thing was being very liberal, being very like Ford and, and, and like pro women and things of that nature, like taking women on the road with them. And, you know, he kind of gave us or really like highlighted Tignataro, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so having having situations like that of being knocked off that pedestal, it, it makes you be more real and be more vulnerable. And I think that you know, for any artist or for any creator or whatever, that is what you have to be. It's, it's not even necessarily getting out in front of it, uh, as much as it is being real and being human and being someone who, you know, says, Hey, I suck sometimes and I'm trying to do better and I'm trying to get better. And I think that's, that's the best we can do. And for me personally, that's, that's what I try to do. That's good advice. Thank you. 
So, uh, Martin, we appreciate you taking the time to join us today. Uh, I th- Keisha, I think you're right. We do need to get out to Cali once this whole social distancing thing passes. So I maybe like can't go anywhere yet. OK, yeah, never mind. we're, we're <laughs> confined to the apartment until further notice. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. But thank you, man. I, we really appreciate you taking the time. Thank you. All right. Take care. You too. Thank you, guys. That's all for the first ever social distancing episode of Shakisha and the White Boy, done entirely by Skype. How'd you feel it went, Shakisha? I, today's episode was really good. It stopped. It's only some heavy topics, but I, you know, it still had our, you know, our flair and our humor. You know? <laughs> yes, and if, uh, I think if you could think... laugh at COVID nineteen. I think uh, the episodes are going to be like this for at least a little while, guys. We're definitely trying to um, practice what the CDC is telling us and and stay away from human contact as much as possible. And I hope that you're doing the same. You know, I heard I read the other day, actually, Shakisha, that there are 525 active 525,000 active podcasts right now. Wow. That means out of all those, whoever's listening right now took the time to listen to ours. And so we want to thank you guys for that. Uh, if you liked what you heard today, in the world, but you're here with us. That's right. That's right. And if you liked what you heard today, please rate and subscribe to the show wherever you listen, because we're trying to stand out among that crowd. You know, yep. if you're feeling really generous, you could even follow us on social media. Find us on Insta and Twitter at SATWB1, as well as on Facebook. Um, Shakisha, we got some mailbag homework to do before we address a few comments on next week's show. If you got a topic idea or a question or a comment. Please feel free to send it to us at shakishaandthewhiteboy at gmail.com. Send it our way and we'll feature it on an upcoming episode. Special thanks and shout out to Berberock for writing and producing our intro music. You can find more of his music at www.brbrck.com. Shakisha, uh, so what's going on for you after this? You headed back into seclusion? I'm getting back into my hazmat suit and uh, gonna watch some Netflix. I was thinking if we decided to do the episode in person, like, because we were having conversations throughout the week and we're like, oh, should we, shouldn't we? I was definitely gonna have to make a joke about us wearing hazmat suits. So it's funny <laughs> that you said it just now. I'm not gonna be the outbreak monkey. <laughs> yeah, you're damn I shouldn't right. have said that. Someone's gonna find something wrong with that. Uh, but it, watch Outbreak, uh, 1992, 1995, great movie. Yes, yes, there is a cultural reference there. It's not a racial thing, guys. <laughs> All right, so <laughs> until next time. Peace.